Hello, and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast, the podcast where we discuss all things justice over coffee with a special guest. And as it's International Anti-Slavery Day today, we thought we'd do something a little different. So I've asked Rainer Shirazi from Anti-Slavery International, quite possibly the oldest international anti-slavery NGO in existence, to come on and take us through some of the fundamentals around this issue that lots of us are talking about today. So let me welcome new and existing listeners to the podcast and to Modern Slavery 101 with Rainer Shirazi talking justice over a delicious cup of brewed herbs and nuts. Are you ready? Ready, yeah. I've got half a cup of cold coffee here. <laughs> coffee, not coffee, I'm afraid. Coffee, not coffee. Coffee, not coffee. What's that? It's uh, it's something called Ticino. Do you know what Ticino is? No. Oh, oh, I feel I feel like a I feel blasphemous coming onto your podcast. Go yeah, on then, tell a, me what Ticino is. It's a. Um, other brands are available, obviously. It's a. Uh, a coffee substitute. Um, is it made out of mushrooms? Made out. Oh no, that sounds interesting. No, oh. it's made out of um, <laughs> herbs. Oh, yeah, sort of roasted herbs and nuts and things like that. And um, yeah, no, I started on it a few years ago, and I struggled with coffee, and uh, I drink that. And then occasionally, you know, when I'm, I'm, uh, you know, feeling a little full of myself, I'll stick a. A, a spoon of real ground coffee in there as well knocking, knocking it out of the park yeah so uh, and then i put oat milk in it's almost like a co- hence, hence coffee not coffee wow it, uh, gets me through an afternoon <laughs> it never fails to surprise me hearing different people's hot drink preferences hot beverage preferences and we all they're all so unique but that's a new one so coffee not coffee it's a variety mm. of ground sort of spices and herbs and herbs and nuts and, and nuts and wow seeds that are, yeah i don't so know no caffeine no works. caffeine in that no caffeine and, and then i um, yeah i just have a little bit of oat milk in there as well yeah how well, do you take I, your coffee Bryn? oh well since we've started and i'll let you know yes. we, we we have started now <laughs> um i'm a black coffee drinker guy i'm a i like to describe oh, myself cool. as a as a purist yeah let's just cut all of the additives out and have it as it was made try and distinguish the flavor from the original coffee bean but you know what i I also sometimes struggle with digestion having had too many coffees in my lifetime so i try not to drink too much on an empty belly and that's exactly what i did this morning i did i was in a fluster woke up slept through an alarm first thing i did was a without having anything in uh, some cereal or toast or anything but bowl full of essentially acid, uh, what coffee is. And uh, yeah, I'm sort of feeling a little bit, ooh, <laughs> I wish I'd have uh, had some toast first. So I'm actually drinking, <laughs> I'm also drinking a non-coffee. I'm drinking a green tea. Oh, nice. Classy. I mean, we've lost half our audience already, but but why don't I start by welcoming you to the podcast? It's so good, Rainer, to have you on. Uh, so thank you for coming on. I was going to, my my opener would have been your coffee habits but we were talking kind of off air about it that now becomes on air about it so we know we know your coffee routine but why don't you start then by telling me a little bit about yourself how you got involved in working in the anti-trafficking sector 
Yeah, well, thanks, Bryn. It's a it's a, such a delight to be on on the podcast with you. We're fans of the podcast, so here at Slave International, so great to be here. Um, so I have been knocking around really in the social justice sector, you know, chipping away my little bit as a communications and fundraising professional for. 24 years now um so I started off in um the water and sanitation sector and it was actually a, a sort of a chance encounter I seconded out to India working with water aid and I'm I I went to this extraordinary center for in a place called Lucknow uh, in Uttar Pradesh for people who were um HIV positive a lot of them had been um, recently diagnosed as such, and I, I was there to understand the sort of new water and sanitation provisions that they were that Waterade had worked with them on. And I sat down and I, I talked to a lady who was sitting on a bed with her her toddler, and she um, was actually like me. She was pregnant, um, so I was six or seven months pregnant at the time. Um, I was actually just overcoming dengue fever as well. So I felt particularly, you know, well, a bit stupid actually for a number of reasons, but also very vulnerable. And it was this mind, this frame of mind, I was sat down with this woman and she just taught me that like my problems were nothing. They were, you know, I had enormous amounts of privilege because she had, she was married to a migrant worker who was working in Mumbai at the time for seven or eight years she lived in the village with her in-laws and um, she had a, a four-year-old I think it was who she left at home with neighbours because she was feeling unwell for several months and wanted to get a, you know a, a diagnosis and get some treatment that morning she had um, been to the doctor and finally got a diagnosis that it was HIV the stigma that exists in well everywhere actually but um, it's very very cute particularly for women in places like northern India just she, she was just sort of reeling from this diagnosis felt she couldn't go home straight away heard about the center in Lucknow walked for seven and a half hours and um sat there and just was looking for some support which she got from the center but it the, this striking thing there was that she said I can't go back I can't go back home because the stigma is so deep I will be I'll just be ostracized I went away from that, obviously very moved by her story, but I, it, it really stayed with me because I thought, well, then, one, what are the options for her daughter? Her daughter is now without the care. Um, she has parents, obviously, but if mum is, you know, cannot go back, then the, those social protections aren't there. But also, what are the options now for this woman who will be, wherever she goes, I guess, you know, unless she gets the support and the treatment she needs will be discriminated against because of that diagnosis. Um, which got me really sort of interested in this issue of these very, very, we use the word marginalized a lot in the social justice sector, but deeply, deeply marginalized by, you know, own communities and social norms exist are so, so strong. And those social norms, uh, also, you know, there are very not social, harmful social norms in places like the UK as well. It's not just in Lucknow in North India. Um, and so it was it was that really that, that got me very interested. Um, and then I um, found myself working and, and living in Kathmandu in Nepal um, a couple of years later. And I, I um, ended up doing quite a lot of work on the issue of child trafficking into orphanages, um, which was uh, an issue that we lobbied hard with the organisation I worked with there 
um, we lobbied hard the uh, US TIP, US Trafficking in Persons Department, to uh, recognise that as a form of, of trafficking, considering the harm it does to children. Wow. That's so what sort of eventually brought me here, Antislavery International. So trafficking into orphanages. So so one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast is sort of go back to basis, not not spend any, not spend too long on any one area, uh, which is what we have done and what we will continue to do. But a few people have asked, where do I start with this issue? If I wanted to to come on board, if I wanted to build my knowledge around modern slavery, where do I start? Or which podcast would you recommend? And we've gone all across the board, really, in, in looking at trafficking. So what I wanted to do with this one is is kind of go back to basics. But before we do, since you've mentioned it, it hasn't actually come up. I'm not sure we've talked about orphanage trafficking yet. So I wonder, with all of that said, before we get started on the basics, as as briefly and succinctly as you think you can manage it, because people will be really surprised at that. But is there such a thing as children being trafficked into orphanages? Tell us just briefly about what that is. Sure. So it's um, it's something that I, I should say there are far more significant experts on than, than I am these days. But yes, there is in places like where I was working in Nepal, in um, Cambodia, I think there's issues in Thailand. Um, there are, uh, across some countries in Africa as well, in South America, there are orphanages children's homes that are effectively run like um commercial enterprises and this comes from sort of system where there has well there hasn't been enough sort of um focus on keeping families together which is the best thing it has families staying together healthy families staying together children staying with healthy families is the leads to the best outcomes for children first of all um, in Nepal, how that manifested was um, it's a country that's quite interdependent. Uh, there were lots. There's, it's also a country that has a lot of tourism, and so when tourists would come over to Nepal, they were sold a trek or a you know a cultural visit, and also a few days volunteering at an orphanage for which they would pay. What that led to was a sort of supply and demand problem. People going, oh, actually, it's a, I can make a bit of money from the tourists here. Um, I'll import some children from the local villages who will come to the towns and, you know, they'll be in this orphanage and we'll provide them with schooling and, and whatnot. But actually what would happen was that these children were often coerced and um, brought over to these orphanages. They, their links with their families were completely gone, which meant that things like local languages, local traditions were, were lost. Families were often desperately sort of searching across the country for these children that they'd thought we're just going to school for a couple of years and then coming back and getting you know uh coming back with better opportunities um and effectively children were being used as sort of poverty commodities uh so some of the work that i worked on then with a, an organization small organization called next generation paul um helped to sort of tackle the issue on the ground sort of actually by helping to rescue children who are in orphanages particularly abusive and exploitative and helping to find their families and reintegrate them supporting the families so that the children were not re-trafficked and the families and communities were strong and um advocacy to make sure that um this as a as a business model was no longer viable thank you thank you uh for sharing that i hadn't warned you that was something i was going to ask you about <laughs> so okay. thanks for for mentioning that there is I think a 
growing awareness of i've heard it termed as voluntourism uh, of of the potential ill effects of that albeit with people uh, creating that supply and demand issue that you mentioned with the greatest of intentions of going well, i've got a gap year i want to do something good and i think it's something you've got to handle quite carefully actually you don't want to deter people from volunteering for great ngos and organizations i don't know how you got started but that was my experience of doing a you know, volunteering overseas when i was 18 for, for four or five months and that got me started i suppose and that would be the same for a lot of people working in the aid sector or the charity sector so you don't want to start to criminalize that but it is being conscientious of 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 what that might be and of course the situations that have mutated to try and profit from people's goodwill and there's lots more many many other examples of that but let's park that one for now and go back to modern slavery 101 with Rhina Shirazi so i've asked our followers today if you've got any questions about this like what what are the basic questions you'd like to know and they've they've responded as you might expect but why don't we start by people saying my impression of slavery was something a couple hundred years ago with the African slave trade, people coming across the colonialization of the United States, the sugar trade, cotton and, and, and coffee, cobalt, these commodities be requiring people to farm them and slave conditions in which to do so efficiently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How can that still be happening today? Surely that is in the past, right? Wrong, I'm afraid. So yes, it's complete. Well, when we when, first of all, when we hear the word slavery, it conjures up, like you say, all of those images and and more. Bryn, um, it conjures up a lot of emotion as well, of course. And you know, we we're still dealing with the kind of repercussions of of that trade. So it's probably worth noting that Antislavery International has been around for a very long time. We we were um, we were what 183 years old now this year. Uh, and we were formed, or a version of us was formed um, as a consequence of the campaign to abolish the transatlantic slave trade. The act came into Parliament in 1807, and the campaign then went, right, okay, well, we've managed to get this far. We've got to make slavery, uh, this sort of what's often called chattel slavery, we need to abolish it in every country in the world. That, this this organisation has existed to do that, and... Um, end it in its forms in in all forms everywhere in the world so it was 1981 when the last country abolished modern slavery so i don't know how old you are Bryn, but you're probably a little younger than me i'm 46 so that was in my lifetime and that is mind-blowing that in my lifetime there was there were countries where it was legal to own and exploit another person another human being what was that country out of interest it's mauritania Mauritania being the last country. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. So um, so it's, it's worth also knowing that even though slavery has been abolished in every country in the world, recent estimates just from a few weeks ago tell us that there are 50 million people in modern slavery, what we call now term modern slavery today. That's the, the modern contemporary manifestations of slavery so let's let's talk about definitions here now there are all sorts of sort of legal definitions but i'm not going to kind of bamboozle anyone with those but put simply um we define modern slavery as when an individual is exploited by someone else or others for personal or commercial gain i think we can all agree that that is a fundamental wrong 
Um, and I think we can all agree that 50 million people is 50 million people too many. And, you know, one person in modern slavery, frankly, is one person too many. So just to give a sense of what that means in everyday terms that may be understandable to, to everyone um, is, is some of the forms that modern slavery takes. So you've, you've mentioned the term trafficking. I've also mentioned the term child trafficking as well um, in this conversation so far. And, and trafficking is, <coughs> excuse me, is a sort of, if you like, it, it comes under the umbrella term of modern slavery. So um, people may have heard of um, people being trafficked into sexual exploitation. They may have heard of forced labour, people being forced to work for no or um, far too little pay. Um, people who are in what's called bonded labour, so um, they may be bonded or they may be, if you like, sort of stuck in a situation because of um, things like a, a debt bondage. They are, they are bound to a debt that they have to pay off for the rest of their lives, which sometimes is a completely fictitious debt. Um, or it's a debt with, you know, terms that an, an individual or family doesn't understand. For Anti-Slavery International, we've worked with people for whom that debt is generational. So, um, you know, it's not, if you, if you think about the connections with historical slavery, you know, there are people who were enslaved and their children were enslaved. It's not actually, you know, in, in exploitative terms, actually terrifically different. It, the, the mechanism, the tool to exploit people is just changing. Uh, forced marriage is also a form of modern slavery um, and also exploitation in, in criminal activity. So, for example, um, in the UK, we are tackling an issue of young, often young people who are um, exploited in trafficking drugs, growing drugs, um, which means that they're, they're effectively stuck between a rock and a hard place or a sort of proverbial shit sandwich where you know they are being exploited by exploiters they are doing they are forced to do something criminal therefore seeking help from authorities means that they're much more likely to be um treated first as a criminal and second as a victim so i hope that helps to just sort of paint the picture of what that looks like in an everyday term the other thing that struck me when i was reading the latest statistics was i was thinking gosh 50 million people how do i picture 50 million people i've never been anywhere i don't think i've ever been anywhere where i could see 50 million people and someone said to me well it's kind of about one in 150 and at the time my son was um well actually this is when the, the last estimates came out but um my son was having a, a, a bit of a, a double-decker boss phase, I think most young children do. And I was like, oh, how many double-decker bosses is that? And I happen to know that in, in London, a double-decker boss largely sees 60 people. Um, so, you know, 60 people, it's effectively like one person in three double-decker bosses that aren't even completely full who are in modern slavery. And, and when you think about that, it, it, you just think, my goodness, this is actually closer than you actually originally think when you see the figures at first yeah yeah that's an interesting point of reference one person in not so full three double <laughs> very helpful <laughs> no that's great thank you for running us through some of those things so um for those who are possibly sort of want to drill down a little bit and say well hang about i know lots of people that feel economically exploited by their employer they they get paid a very little amount of money and somebody at the top gets paid a very big amount of money and that's crap is that slavery too where where do you draw the line yeah so there is something called a um continuation of uh 
forced labour. Um, and this is something we work with with a lot because it helps us to identify, if you like, the kind of slippery slope of people being forced into some form of exploitative work. Um, when um, when someone's sort of freedom is limited, when someone's um, is is being exploited or harmed, there are usually patterns that we see. So, for example, if we're working with a company and we can see that actually they've parts of their business have a really dire sort of hate, um, health and safety provision um it's it's a it's one of many indicators of whether actually those workers are being treated as they should do in in terms of their kind of legal rights and so it's when, when we kind of look at it in the whole we have to identify like are, are these are these workers when we're all largely workers um are there effectively are their rights being respected within the workplace? Have they got the freedom to move um, workplaces as well? That's a really key issue, particularly with in the UK. You know, there's been quite a lot of talk about things um, like tied visas, seasonal visas, and so on, where you would be tied to an employer mm. and could not leave. Yeah, I think that word freedom is key, isn't it? That word freedom, and you talk about seasonal workers. I know there's a system in uh, still in countries in the Middle East. I think it's been banned in Qatar fairly recently. I don't know if that's that's accurate or not. I know there's been a lot of attention about the upcoming World Cup and I think it's something like six thousand people that, that believe to have died in the construction of the infrastructure to to allow that World Cup to take place in that country. A system called Kafala. Are you aware of Kafala? Kafala system, yeah. 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 So this yeah. and that's where they don't have that freedom and where the employer has that control and their passports and, and bank accounts are controlled and just of course what perfect situation that creates for, for slavery and exploitation but that does still happen here in the uk right i mean okay not we don't necessarily have the kafala system in place here in official official terms but we'll have situations where workers are brought over where their passports are being managed by somebody else and confiscated where their paying conditions get go fall far below what is legal if not outright debt bondage slavery when i was a police officer and that wasn't that long ago i still went to cases where there was a vietnamese teenager sleeping in a sleeping bag under a staircase in a converted house on a council estate that had been turned into a cannabis factory and his job was to water the plants 24 hours a day and living off pot noodles and nothing else with no mobile phone no passport no independent access to money no means of leaving the premises etc etc and yet he'd still get nicked as a conspirator or involved in the supply of a class c or controlled substance or whatever that was not that long ago we were treating people like that as criminals rather than going well maybe maybe uh, this person is a victim of modern slavery so why don't we bring it to the uk let's have a look at things in the uk does it really happen here and, and what should we be looking out for yeah it's all you're absolutely spot on you know it's it's all very well thinking about it as far away but it, it actually happens in you know slavery is, is is on our streets it's on our towns and our cities and our villages and um you know, I talked about the, the global number of, of 50 million earlier, but the most recent statistics from the UK government, which we, we in this country measure every quarter, um, puts the, well, puts the official figures at around 13,000 people in slavery today. It's worth noting that um, experts are pretty comfortable publishing the number of being at over 100,000. 
um, in slavery today. It's just that, as the example you use is a good one. It's the fear sometimes of being of being able to report, of being able to leave, you know find help, of um, worrying that the fear that you you would be penalised by the state when it should be supporting you and and protecting you, um, and you know it's. It's one of the reasons why Anti-Slavery International actually we we focus on what we call the kind of the system change needed to to tackle modern slavery. Uh, I mean, just look at it as a numbers game for a minute. You know, if you're talking about fifty million, thirty thousand, hundred thousand organisations that provide the and services that provide the sort of support to those um, survivors, hugely hugely important. We could not do without that. We need that work in place but the trackers if they're not if the system allows that trafficking to happen if it allows that modern slavery to happen there's just going to be another vulnerable person that's going to take their places that's going to be sleeping in that sleeping bag under the stairs um so if we're really serious about ending slavery and we 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 are you know we have a, a, we have a very stated aim of freedom from slavery from everyone everywhere always then we need to be focused on that sort of what we call systems change now, system change can feel like a bit of a jargonistic term, so I'm just going to kind of break that down a bit here. And, and it's also something that we, you know, we, in our world, we talk about a lot in the issue of modern human rights and modern slavery in social justice generally. We talk about quite a lot. But to me, what that means is a sort of addressing like those underlying structures, the root causes that that mean that that boy under the stairs is there in the first place, that means the boy under the stairs is doesn't just feels too fearful to seek help the reason that boy under the stairs doesn't know that he is in something called modern slavery and that is wrong so that could be discrimination it could be a, a poverty that they're, they're trying to escape from it can be that there's a lack of legal protection it can be that there are social norms that means that actually the, the other people on that estate aren't really looking out for that kid because they're like oh it's just some you know kid from another country that we don't really care about or some let about they're the things that we're trying to tackle, because if we don't dismantle those, if we don't really ask ourselves the difficult questions about why that's happening, we're probably just not going to get anywhere. Um, and so, you know, for us, it, it sort of takes four or five different forms. And that's, make, first of all, first and foremost, making sure the law is effective enough to protect people. If the law's not there, then we've got no one really to hold to account that we, we already see, as you know, from, from your previous work, prosecution rates are, are horrendously low. You know, for such a heinous crime, horrendously low. So we need to make sure that, that those laws are in place, they're implemented, everyone knows them. All across that sort of value chain, if you like, of, of organisations and, and services that, that work with that legislation. We need to make sure that the what we call the movement, the sort of, uh, you know, the businesses, the grassroots organisations, the, you know, the activists, the campaigners, the individuals on our, in our communities that can want to do something, our sort of allies in um, other countries, international organisations, that, that we are collect collectively a strong movement, that we are aligned, that there is um, and it's really, really hard because there are so many issues at the moment. You know, we've got, you know, huge amounts of kind of conflict around the world where most countries are dealing with, with some degree of economic instability. We've, you know, we're, we're in our country, at least with dealing with, you know, what Brexit means to the, to the country. So there's so many things to, to consider, but we have to make sure that we are absolutely a movement to, 
to end slavery is absolutely aligned and it's strong and it's effective and we all have a part to play in that we've got to make sure that the voice of those people who are affected by modern slavery are a part of, of leading the charge it can be very common to see that there are experts talking about people who are in slavery and it can uh, well one you know translating that is not always the most effective thing to do but also you know there are people who've lived through the system who can actually talk about like what what worked for them and what didn't and that you know gives us that really valuable information and Slave International was part of the ATM sorry part of the anti-trafficking monitoring group um published a report earlier in the year which was designed by uh, people with lived experience um and you know their experiences of the system in the UK and what was working and what was not for them so it, it's that sort of work that we need to be able to kind of elevate really also something that often isn't talked about but we think is really really important and uh, is a big part of my job as director of, of communications is how we frame the issue of modern slavery it's very easy to think as you said right at the beginning to think it's somewhere over there it's you know thousands of miles away in Cambodia or Kathmandu my you know my early career or hundreds and hundreds of years ago and we don't really need to think about it but as we've demonstrated today it's it's on our streets it's in our communities there are people who are being victimized and if we're not clear as professionals if we're not clear about that 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 is happening and that actually we do need to care about it and that there are children child labor you know child slavery in the clothes that we're wearing that is unacceptable because actually when we when we poll get public polling data it shows that people do think it's a wrong they don't it's not an acceptable thing it's just that most people don't know what to do about it um so framing the issue making it relevant making it so that it is not this sort of technical legalistic thing that happens and someone might be dealing with somewhere in you know over in some technical space but actually it is a concern that we all need to be aware of that there are helplines available that there are signs that we can look out for whether it's you know in our communities and our schools you know in, in the businesses that we work we work for and so on so that's that's quite a kind of important part of how we see affecting that change Great. What what I was going to close with is just asking how how we can help. If someone was listening and going, okay, so how do I respond? What's the first thing you'd suggest? But you kind of led onto it there. But what what else would you say? Today, the eighteenth of October is Anti Slavery Day. Um, it's an annual day, and it's a, a really important time for us to uh, raise awareness. If you're you know on social media, or if you're talking to your friends this evening or family members, if you're on your WhatsApp groups. This is the information that you can really could be sharing today um, and other times throughout the year. There are sort of two main, very simple things that we're asking people to do. One is to um, learn more about the issue of modern slavery. There is on Anti-Slavery International's channels, there is a, uh, a very short blog on the five things you can do today to help end slavery. One of those is spotting the signs of slavery. So, you know, having that as a guide, you know, through the rest of your life as you go about your day to day work and play is, is such a valuable thing. And it means that we can all be active participants in ending modern slavery once and for all. So the second thing that um, folks can do uh, this anti-slavery day um, today 
is to sign a petition. It only takes a few minutes. Um, and that petition is calling on the government to introduce what we call import bans. This is something that's worked very successfully in the US. And if you are someone who is worried that the things that you buy, services that you procure might be made with forced labor or child labor, they might be made by people who've been exploited, then this is a way to show that, that you don't think that's acceptable. Um, and we're calling on the UK government to introduce these bans to ensure that goods that are made with forced labour do not enter from are not are not imported into the UK. That petition can uh, be accessed from a website called Coalition to Stop Slavery. So uh, lots on social today from the coalition. That's a group of a whole number of large and small organisations that are pushing for these changes. And you'll also see on their um, a little guide on how you yourself can spot the signs of of modern slavery and seek help for people perfect thank you that's helpful it's always helpful to have a a response a call to action so thank you for for sharing that we said we'd keep it brief so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ask you any more at this stage maybe we'll come bring you back on and we'll, we'll have a look at some of these issues in a bit more detail but for now thank you so much for coming on to the justice and coffee podcast and sharing with us today i appreciate it thank you so much Bryn, for having us it's been just such a delightful conversation to have this with you very welcome very welcome keep doing the good work and uh keep drinking interesting hot <laughs> beverages not tea not coffee <laughs> take care okay thanks so much Bryn. so thank you to those of you who messaged in on our socials with some of those questions i hope that was helpful I can certainly see how there's room for confusion when thinking about this issue and our response to it. If we're addressing, let's say, access to clean water, we build wells. Or access to education, we build schools. We fund educational materials. We sponsor teachers' salaries. To malaria, we provide mosquito nets. We fund inoculations and medication. Combating modern slavery requires a whole variety of responses. Some of them are systemic, like Reiner said, and exist on a state and governmental level. And that's why it's important to keep modern slavery on the political agenda. And some of it comes down to where we shop, what we put in the trolley, learning where our goods come from, spotting signs of slavery in our communities and reporting our concerns. The good news is you can be part of the change. It does involve you. Check out Anti-Slavery International at their website www.antislavery.org and on social media at Antislavery International. And like Reiner suggested, go to the Anti-Slavery Coalition website today and sign the petition calling our government to ban imports from countries that profit from forced labour. Their website is coalitiontostopslavery.org. I'll put a link to these in the show notes. If you want to go a little deeper, and you're a new listener to the podcast, why not take a look at some of our previous episodes where we discuss the topic of modern slavery and human trafficking with a variety of specialists from around the world. This podcast was produced by Blue Bear Coffee. You can find out about our mission to fight slavery through coffee at our website, bluebearcoffee.com. So get out there, use your voice, share with your network, and together we can put an end to this great injustice. 
Thanks for listening this Anti-Slavery Day 2022. Peace.